So tonight we continue to look at the times and seasons. We had transitioned into the New Testament. We are going to go back in the Old Testament. I just wanted to catch this while we are studying the seventh month celebrations of the law. Remember we were talking about the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles where we ended up with. Last week we began looking into the New Testament which took us into the birth of John the Baptist, by which we can uh, decipher, if we know a little bit of Scripture and know a little bit about how the tabernacle or the temple worship was structured, we found out that we have a, a, a range from late August to early October uh, of Christ's birth. It had to happen in that time frame, built upon when Zacharias was serving in the temple, when his... Uh, wife Elizabeth got pregnant um, when uh, Mary visited her in her six months. So we can go six months from then and recognize that by that point Mary was, was with child of the Holy Spirit. And then we go nine months from there or so, a little bit more than that, and we end up in that range. So we're right in this range of time. And so we know about the season of Christ's birth. And the question is, can we get more precise than that? Well, we have some additional information, and we're going to be looking at that, uh, and it's going to take us into a realm that maybe um, uh, we are too ignorant of, and, uh, and that's too bad. Um, it wasn't the case with the, with the Magi, for sure. It wasn't the case of most people in the ancient times and biblical times, and it shouldn't be. It's an area that we aren't well educated in, that, that uh, I, I took courses even in high school, uh, but I, I see a few people, and, but yet we are replacing that knowledge base of the sun, moon, and stars with uh, astrology, and, and Satan does this. Satan, Satan attacks on two different ways. Either he takes the truth and warps it, Correct? He likes to do that. He likes to take the truth and warp it and then laugh at us because um, he has warped the truth away from us. So, but he starts off with that truth, but then he hijacks it, warps it, and then uh, it, it something we end up reeling away from. And we looked early on in the Genesis account of the creation of the sun, moon, and stars that one of the purposes specifically stated in Genesis chapter 1 for the moon and the stars particularly, if I'm going to read it out of Genesis 1 so you know uh, what it, it's saying. You don't have to trust my word. It says um, in verse 14, it says, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide day from the night. Let there be for signs, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. That that's their purpose. So the sun, moon, and stars are there for signs and seasons as well as for days and years. Now we can, can recollect days and years. We understand the passage of time. We're marking time that we can go, well, this day is going from here to there. Um, not from midnight to midnight, but from sunset to sunset is a day. We recognize years. We can recognize months. But, and we can also talk about seasons, but we usually aren't very well uh, and really careful about is the idea that the sun, moon, and stars are there for signs. That they are signs in the heavens. And that that's one of their purposes. In fact, if I read to the list here in the English, it's their first purpose. That their primary purpose, their number one is signs, and then seasons, and then days, and then years. Do you see that order? And we ignore the very first purpose of that. Now, what has Satan done with that? Well, Satan has taken the concept that the stars, sun, moon, and stars are there for signs and has perverted it. He's hijacked that, and we now move into the area of modern astrology, where we talk about under what sign were you born. And so you talk about that. So let's just find out what sign were you born in. Just say it out loud. Okay, I'm Gemini, um, because that was right now. And so... Uh, we all know the sign that we're born under. And then we have these little astrology things in the paper telling you we're going to predict and we're going to talk about what kind of person you are if you're born in this time period. 
under these stars, and we see the manipulation of it, and we, and we react properly in rejecting that. And we thank you. And we, we move away from that. We say, well, that's astrology, and there's something wrong with that. And you would be correct in that, in that evaluation of it. But here's what we do. We end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Heard that phrase before? So we're throwing out the concept that the sun, moon, and stars are there for signs because Satan has hijacked that terminology and that realm and has abused it, has warped it. And what we want to do is bring us back to the concept, uh, and you might say, well, that sounds like astronomy, but the, 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 the quote-unquote science of astronomy has some issues too. And you've heard me speak against the Copernican model. Uh, you've heard me address some of those things. And so uh, Satan has warped that as well. So you can say, well, let's go to the science side instead of this mystical side. Uh, but if we follow the scripture, we shouldn't have a problem. And that's what we want to do tonight. And so while some of this might be, you say, this is kind of out of the realm of scripture, that's really not true. And if it were true, the Magi would never have shown up. Because what were they following? The star. They're following the heavens. They're reading the heavens. And in fact, this is also the reason that a bunch of Babylonians appeared at the court of Hezekiah, correct? Because he's like, wait a minute, the, the, everything moved backwards a few degrees. That wasn't lost on them because they were students of the heavens. They, they knew the constellations. They knew the stars. They knew their movements. They tracked them very carefully uh, especially in the early morning, pre-dawn hours, and in the very in the late hours, and those are the two times when their great concern was at, at uh, pre-dawn and just after sunset. And and we could talk about that a little bit, but I'm not going to probably have time. So we have the sun, moon, and stars put forth as a purpose is to bring you signs, and I'm going to take that word and I'm going to bring it to another book of the Bible. So we're in Genesis chapter 1. Now I want you to go to Revelation chapter 12. Okay, opposite end of the Bible. So let's go to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, in verse 1, says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Okay, what does that sound like? What's he looking at? We're not talking about the third heaven, we're really talking about the heavens. We're talking about um, up there, a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So we have, we're looking up into the sky, into the heavens, we're studying them, and we're looking for an arrangement like this, and John communicates to us something. Now, in this portion of Revelation, we're not dealing with future stuff. We're dealing with historical. How do I know that? Well, um, because it goes right in. It says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his head, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. So we know who that male child was, don't we? Is. Who is that male child? Jesus Christ. So they're describing the birth of Christ in the heavenly realms, in the stars, sun, moon, and stars, and playing out that historical record in the stars. Now, um, if you've heard my teaching on Revelation 12, usually I don't take you to Genesis 1. I take you to Joseph's dream where he talks about sun, moon, and stars, that the woman is representative of Israel and the people of God, that they brought forth the Messiah. The Messiah then was slain, and, uh, and then the people of God were hunted. And so the, in terms of direct application here, uh, in terms of its prophetic understanding, uh, I still hold to that. Does that mean I can't hold to some other information here? No. It's called a both-and apologetic instead of an either-or. Either-or means you have to choose one or the other, right? Either this is right or that's right. 
Um, but in this setting, and a lot of prophecy, it's not either or, it's usually both and. In other words, there is um, a very, very powerful literal aspect as well as a, uh, a, a general interpretation. Uh, and let's go back to Joseph's dream. So what was it that bowed down, that Joseph had, that his brothers had that bowed down to him? Was it his brothers that bowed down to him in his dream? No, nope, before that. And the first one was, your, your wheat bowed down to my wheat. Now, why would he have a dream about wheat? They were shepherds, right? Were they wheat farmers? No. So, there was a component here. So, why wouldn't it be your sheep bowing down to my sheep? Wouldn't that show that he was to rule over his brothers? Well, it certainly would. But that's not what God gave him. God gave him a dream about wheat. Well, why would wheat be in his dream when they're shepherds? Because the wheat is the very instrument that was used by God in Egypt many years later from the dream that would be the very thing that would cause the brothers to come down and bow down before Joseph was that he had grain, wheat, and they didn't. He had grain. They didn't have grain. They were in famine. He had the grain that would save the world. And so there's a literal component and a general. What was the interpretation of the dream? The interpretation of the dream is that the brothers are going to submit themselves to Joseph, right? But there's a specific part of the dream that is literal. It is the need for grain, for food, that's going to bring them to their knees before Joseph. Okay, so it's not either or, one is right, one is wrong. They're both correct. There's a specificity that's very literal and, and instructive, and there is a general interpretation that is also true. Did Joseph's family submit to Joseph? The brothers that hated him and sold him into slavery, did they come down and bow down to him? Yes, they did. And that was the interpretation of the dream given to us by Jacob himself, but there was a specific thing in the dream that would help us know what commodity it was that would cause them to bow down to him. You see that? And so here we have a general interpretation. It would be, here's the people of God, Israel, bringing forth the Messiah for all the world. Satan is going to seek to destroy him. He's going to rise from the dead and, and be delivered up into heaven, his ascension. All that's played out here historically in Revelation chapter 12. But we want to take away from that, we're going to go to one of those specific applications. And we're going to talk about the arrangement of the sun, moon, and stars to describe Israel. And that's what we're going to focus in on tonight. To help us uh, identify when in the season of the fall, late August through early October, when Christ was born. And we're going to get real detailed here. So, you all told me Kind, you all pretty much know what sign you, were, you are. What does that mean that that is your sign? How do they determine those dates of when that is the sign of, of whatever? Aquarius, Gemini, all those. I don't, I don't know them all that well. Uh, Leo, Virgo, all those. Those are the two we're going to study tonight. What does that mean? That you're, what, how do they decide those dates of you saying you were born in those stars? Have any idea? It is not the lunar cycle, believe it or not. How do they set those dates? Okay, the way we describe that is that the sun is in that constellation. Okay, so you might say, well, wait a minute. How can the sun be in a constellation? The sun is during the day and the constellations are at night. Well, the constellations don't disappear. <laughs> you just can't see them anymore. And so we know by degrees, when we look at the sun, we know where the sun is, and they would overlay that at night and say, well, the sun right now, in this path of a day, because the sun changes, right? Because it's there and it's moving south and it moves north, right? Meanwhile, the stars are moving, and so they're in their courses. And whenever the sun is in a constellation, they say that is your sign, they are looking at when the sun is in that cluster of stars that forms that constellation. So some of them are larger, some of them are smaller, but 
and that's generally how they set that up. And so when we talk about I, when is the sun in a constellation is the sign that you are under. Well, here we have a woman. Now, what constellation, if we're looking into the heavens, what constellation is a woman? And let's even make it more specific to be a virgin. Virgo, okay, means virgin. Okay, so Virgo is one of the constellations. What is her time period of her sign? Does anyone know? Probably right in the same field that we're looking for for Christ's birth, and you're exactly correct. And so I had to write this stuff down because I don't know all the signs dates, so I have them here. So, back in 3 BC, and we're going to go by 3 BC, and I'll tell you why here in a little bit. Uh, the sign of Virgo, the sun was in Virgo from August 27th through September 15th, which lands right into our realm of what we're looking for. So, what we're, and, and by the way, it's every fall, so it's, I'm just giving you specific dates of that specific year, but... The sun is in Virgo because it goes through the 12 constellations every year. Okay, so every year the sun travels through the constellations and that's why we say what, what stars are you born under? What constellation? What is your sign? In other words, when is the sun? So right now the sun is just, I think it's leaving Gemini. So I think they're getting really close to the end of the Gemini. I think I'm at the tail end. Uh, I'm barely a Gemini. And so it's leaving, I think it's either leaving or just entering, I can't remember. Um, that's, I, I just don't really care. Huh? Are you a Gemini? Yeah. Okay, you're a Gemini, June 4th, okay. So it's leaving Gemini. All of our June babies are Geminis. Um, and so uh, we know the sun is in that constellation during that time. Okay? And so uh, we're looking for time periods, so we're looking to the fall. That is when... Virgo is. And so are you a Virgo? Well, that means you are a fall baby. Uh, and when we start to look at this, we say, okay, the sun is clothing this woman. So we're looking at a constellation that's a woman, Virgo, uh, and interestingly enough, the virgin. And, and she's holding two things. If you've never seen the constellation Virgo, I have some pictures here. Uh, she's holding two things. She's holding a group of wheat and a branch. The seed of the woman and the branch. And right before her, right above her, is another... What's the constellation above Virgo? Does anybody know? You see how ignorant... Doesn't it... Don't you, aren't you frustrated at ignorance? You don't know your own sky. You don't know the sky above you that you see... You can walk out and see every day, every night. You don't know what's up there. Uh, what's, what is right above Virgo is Leo. What is Leo. It's a lion. Pretty important sign. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the, this is the constellation of Judah is Leo, right above Virgo, uh, the sign of the virgin, who in Hebrew time was associated with guess who? She's gleaning wheat and carries the branch of Israel, Ruth. She was associated with Ruth for many, many years. Uh, and then after Christ's birth, she, the Virgo was associated with Mary. And so we have this constellation, this sign. And, and John is giving us directions saying, we're looking for when the sun is in Virgo. It is clothing her. So let's go ahead and look at uh, this. Let's see if I can show this on the wall. It's going to be really hard in the podcast to really pick this up, but you can look up a, a map of constellations and uh, come up with this. All right. This might be, well, it'll get brighter, right? So this is the night sky, and this is showing a handful of the constellations. We're going to be looking at uh, this one. I'm going to put a... Uh, you, and so what they've done is they've put lines together to show where the constellations and, and uh, some of the major stars within them. Virgo, by the way, is a very large constellation of stars. It actually has oh, about 110 stars in its cluster. 
So it's a very, it's a pretty significant one. And it's this one right here. So I'm going to click on it and bring it up a little brighter. So this is Virgo. And uh, this is the, the, her main star, uh, Sica, I think. Circa, Sica. And so this is her brightest star. And you can see that right over her head, this is her legs, this is her body, arms, her leg, head's there. And this is Leo the lion over here with Romulus being the, the bright star of Leo. And so we're looking at this and we say, well, we see a sign in heaven uh, of a woman clothed in the sun. So now we have the sun, this is a representation of the sun, in Virgo. So we're looking for that time, so that takes us to the fall. But then it says that it's not just clothed with the sun, so now we know the season, and it agrees with the other text in Luke about the season. It says, with the moon under her feet. Now the moon will traverse through this on a daily basis. Every day the moon is going to change its position. Every single day it will move through the constellations. So we don't talk about it being in a constellation for very long. And in fact, in a matter of just a few days, it's going to travel from up here at the head all the way to the feet. So we're looking for the moon to be in this area at the feet of the constellation of Virgo. That the moon is at her feet. Or I'm sorry, under her feet. So um, if, if this does I'm going to go to another picture that's animated, okay? Not animated. Um, well, maybe that is called. So it just has, it, it'll be, it'll show the picture of a woman and a lion instead of just connecting the dots, right? So let me go to that. There, does this help you? Picture it a little bit. So here is Virgo and here is Spica or Spica. Um, this is the wheat that she's holding. She's holding a branch in the other one. And all the stars involved in this are the cluster. Don't ignore this. That's the sun. And these are uh, some uh, wandering stars, planets, and uh, as is this one. And so this is actually telling you something that happened on September 23rd, 2017. So this is not something from 3 BC. It's just one I found where they were commenting that they thought Jesus would come back because the arrangement of stars were similar to Revelation 12. Okay? So it, it's not the only time it's ever happened. And it just happened recently. Uh, we really only know about three or four times that this has ever, this combination has occurred. And uh, this is one of them. And we're going to talk about the, why uh, here in a little bit that, uh, that there's a lot of speculation in 2017 that Christ was going to come because of this arrangement. Uh, so it has happened just recently for us. So here we have Virgo, and we're looking for, here's, and notice that the sun is not clothing her, the sun is on her shoulder. We're looking for a time when the sun is in this area, in that square of this region right here. And you see the sun right there? That's what we're looking for, when it's clothing her, not on her shoulder as it was in September of 2017, the sun was actually on her shoulder. Uh, and so we want to see the sun right there, and we're looking for the moon under her feet, and we're looking for a garland of 12 stars. So that would be around her head. Now, Leo has how many stars? Anybody know? You didn't even know where Leo was, so you didn't. I didn't either. I had to study all this. Leo has seven stars, seven major stars that were visible to the human eye. Seven stars. So now, I'm sorry, nine stars. Better write this. i got to read my stuff. So we're looking at the nine-star constellation of Leo. It has nine major stars in it. They're, list, they're shown here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They show a couple of extras, but uh, the minor ones. But nine stars are generally attributed to Leo there in their constellation. So how do we get to 12? Well, you need to add three stars. So where do you get three more stars to add in? Well, the constellations are set, but there are other stars that are wandering. What do we call them? Planets. You call them planets. Um, do you know what the word planet means? The word planet is Latin for wandering star. 
because they don't stay in constellations, they move around. So we have wandering stars, and what we're looking for is a time when you have, in addition to the nine stars of Leo, you have three wandering stars conjoining in that constellation. And again, we're looking back and we can uh, find those uh, because the, the heavens are a great big clock and we can back it up and we can just see their courses. They move in their courses. The Bible says that they move there and you can predict it in the future and you can predict it in the past. That's how they tell you whether there's going to be a lunar eclipse at such and such a time, right? They can predict that because it all works unless something wild happens like God sets it all back 20 degrees or God stops the sun and the moon in its path for Joshua, right? That's radical. But pretty much it's a clock and we can go back. Ah, wake up. We can go back and we can see when has this ever occurred. Now we're looking at something else. The major star of Leo is Romulus. That major star, go back to this one. This major star here is called the King Star. Now, one of the wandering planets is called the King Planet. Which one do you suppose that might be? Jupiter. Jupiter is called the King Star, the King Planet, the King Wanderer. So you have the King Wandering Star and the King Constellational Star as Romulus. In 3 BC, Jupiter joined Romulus. So we have a double king right together. And we have Venus in there. And we have Mercury in there. And these three joined the Leo constellation in 3 BC uh, together. And that would have been a huge thing when the king star meets the king star, the king planet. They would conjoin. And we can back up our clock and we can see when that happened. And so we're watching Leo. We're watching Virgo, we're watching the sun to clothe her, we're watching for the moon to move across her to, to the position under her feet. And um, using wonderful technology and a lot of study of other people, we come to uh, these dates. Now what this is showing you is where the moon was in that time period of September 6th through September 11th, it shows you arrows where the moon was. This is how quickly the moon moves to the constellations. Here it is in Leo on September 6th, still in Leo September 7th, on Virgo's shoulder September 8th, at her arms September 9th, September 10th at her knee, and September 11th under her feet. That's on 3 BC. And combined with that, we have those three wandering stars in the diadem of Leo conjoining with Romulus, the king star. And in fact, this author that I'm obviously getting material from, uh, Dr. I want to say Hinton, is uh, not only telling you what date, he's telling you what time because the moon doesn't stay there very long. It stays there for about an hour and a half. So that's why he's giving you 7 p.m. on September 11th, 3 BC. How's that for being really specific? Now, where's the moon at? The moon has to, can't be up here, so we can rule these out. Even though the sun is in Virgo, that the 12 stars are kind of moving around. And in fact, during that time, Saturn was doing a cyclical thing and touching Romulus multiple times for, for several months. Uh, was just hanging, those two king stars were hanging out together uh, in the sky. And that would have been something over in Babylon, those magi from the east who are studying the stars, that's what they're all about. This is huge. Very rare that this happens and they know exactly where to start heading. They start heading where the stars point them, and we get into a situation where we are having the exact description of the heavens as what John describes as the sign 
of heaven, of the coming of Jesus Christ, of his birth. That the woman gave birth to a child, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And so this is where we come up with September 11th as the birth date of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you get that? We know the period of time from the law, from the work of the temple of Zacharias, uh, and the natural courses of men, and we get the sign of the sun, moon, and stars out of Revelation 12, and we coordinate that with what we see, and we come up with this time frame. Because the Bible is very specific in this description of the sun, moon, and stars. The description of what he saw in the heavens at Christ's birth. Now, I'm going to throw another one at you. You ready for this? What phase of the moon was the moon in when it landed here on September 11th? Okay, when the moon lands here, underneath her feet... What phase of the moon was it in, do you suppose? Just guess. Full, new, by new moon you mean a dark moon, right? Is it a full moon, new moon? I'll tell you, it's on the first crescent. It's the first crescent moon, which means it's a dark moon with just a little sliver showing. It's called the first crescent. Well, why is that important? Okay, let's talk about last week. We were associating the Christ's birth with one of the feasts. Which feast? Feast of, not trumpets, because that we were talking about his return. Tabernacles. Remember, he tabernacled with us. The Feast of Tabernacles. We're associating Christ's birth with the Feast of Tabernacles. All right? So, if the full moon the, is the new moon, as we have contended, and that begins the Feast of, and the Feast of Trumpets would be the next day, the first of the month is the, is the Feast of Trumpets, then the 15th of the month would be what? It would be the first crescent. The 14th of the month would be a new moon to us, a dark moon. Okay? So on that night of Christ's birth, there is a single one day of crescent moon underneath there, uh, of the lady. Now, I'm going to turn that off because I don't think we need it too much more. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are on a certain date. What date? In, in, a, in a lunar month, what date are we at? If it's the first crescent night, one day after the dark moon, you're on the 15th. Go to Leviticus 23. You know it's going to line up, don't you? Or I wouldn't be talking about it. Let's go to Leviticus 23. And let's read verse 33 and 34. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. The fifteenth day of the seventh lunar month is the beginning of the feast of tabernacles. It would be a single crescent moon night. If the new moon is actually a full moon, which is what David says in the Psalms. So if we take this information, we put it all together, we come up with a dark night with a single crescent, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ arrives. Boom. And remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is a great Celebration, you get together with family, you're living in tents, um, and you are celebrating the, that period of time that you were, you were traveling through the wilderness. And here, um, everyone has traveled to their homeland because of the census. It's after the harvest, it all is lining up very well. And we come and we have this first crescent moon, which tells you this is the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. If the full moon is actually a new moon in Israel because God didn't create a dark moon when he created. The first moon was a full moon. Now we come into a really dark night out in the fields. 
And shepherds are coming into town of Bethlehem, and what are they claiming? What have they seen on a dark night? They have seen a bright lights of angels, the glory of the heavens shining. Okay? And that's, let's go back to Luke and make sure we know that account. Luke takes us to the visitation of the angels to the shepherds. Verse 8 of chapter 2 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Uh, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe's wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in mages. Suddenly there was with the, an, the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they're out there on a dark night, is my contention, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. There is no mistaking this with some full moon or just that they, they know it was a dark night and here is this blinding glory of angelic presence surrounding them and they are sorely afraid. They know the heavens, they're out there every night looking at them. They don't have, they don't even have a, a app for their phone to help them with that because they know how to read the stars. It is part of their timekeeping. And so all of Israel is watching these things because that's how they set up their calendar was by watching the lunar cycles and knowing what day it is. Well, there's, a, there's the first crescent on the moon. It's the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles. And so at 7 p.m. around there, from about 6.45 to about 7.30, somewhere, in, or I'm sorry, till about almost 8, uh, somewhere in that time frame, the Christ is born, according to Revelation chapter 12 on September. September 11th, 3 B.C. Now, some of the programs, if you look it up, will say 2 B.C. And I'll tell you the problem there is that their computer program counts the year zero. <laughs> Remember, I told you that's a problem with computers. They can't get over, you don't go from plus one to negative one. You have to go plus one, zero, negative one. And so they keep adding the year zero. So some of your programs will show this happening on 2 B.C. Say, no, pastor said 3 B.C. There's the reason why. Their program is including zero as a year. There was no year zero. And so we look back, and, and again, this is by men who have studied this extensively, who are using um, the, what we know and all the calculations there to say this is what they were seeing. And we can track what they were seeing uh, in the heavens during this time frame, and it all correlates with with Revelation chapter 12, with that very brief but very specific description of a sign in heaven that John saw that was correlated with the birth of Jesus Christ. And so when you look on my Facebook, and on September 11th, I say, Happy birthday, Jesus. Um, that's why. It is bringing all of this biblical thing to bear that we can identify um, the birth date of Jesus Christ. There is sufficient information that is provided in Scripture. The problem usually is that, number one, we don't believe it can be that specific or we've misaligned everything, mislooked at everything. And, and frankly, we're, we're pretty ignorant. We're pretty ignorant of things that the first century readers of these books were not ignorant of. They were not ignorant of the stars. They just weren't. Um, they, they knew them. They, 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 they tracked them. That was a, if you were considered a wise person, uh, you had to know the stars. Uh, consider, what, how does a sailor sail? You, 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 not just the North Star, you know all the stars. You had to know all the stars if you were going to sail. How much sailing was going on in the Roman Empire? <laughs> a lot. 
Walk, read the, the story in, in Acts of Paul's journeys. Notice how many times he's on a ship. They're watching the stars. They were students of the stars. And God says they're there not only to mark time, but they're there for signs. Not signs for you to decide what decisions you should make this month and read your astrology page. That's how Satan has hijacked it and warped it. But rather that we can look to the sky and say there should be significant things. And so when these guys saw this starting to align similar, but not identical, similar to Revelation 12, they got real excited, you know, four years ago. And rightly so. Uh, but the evidence is there that, that uh, by the way, it took a couple of years for the Magi, well, a few months for the Magi to show up um, in the region, which is probably more aligned with our celebration between December 25th, January 8th, somewhere in that period of their arrival. Probably even a year later. Could be. Could have been the year of or a year later. And so when we look at this, we see here's the biblical information. And we can now evaluate it. And once we set it into an understanding of the Israelite calendar without all the aberrations that have happened to that over time. We're saying, well, the Bible says the new moon is the full moon. The Bible says that this is the order of service in the temple. And, and Zacharias was of this order, so we know when he was serving in the temple. And the Bible says that this is the description of sun, moon, stars. We know that this is when the census was given. And that's the, how we come up with 3 BC, is the period of the census. We are told who is the governor. They give us all the information we need. The problem is, is that we don't live in that period of time. And we have lost track of some of this, and we don't do the hard work of studying it out. And instead, we just go with whatever society says. And so... Um, if you want to celebrate the birth of Christ uh, on its date, uh, I would. if you want to pick any date, pick September 11th. What are we celebrating in our country these days, September 11th? Destruction. Death. Why? Because Satan is a great hijacker, isn't he? And he wants to take seasons that should be celebratory and make them celebrating evil, or remembering evil. And this happened to Israel too. Israel during her exile started having fasts. In fact, they were having more fasts than feasts. And God through his prophet says, I hate your fasts. Why were they fasting? They were fasting over the fall of Jerusalem. They were fasting over the captivity. They, were they had all these series of fasts commemorating what? Judgment and destruction and evil. They weren't celebrating God's provision and goodness. They were fasting over the fall of Jerusalem or were going into captivity or the fall of Judah. They were fasting, having all these fasts. And God says, I hate those. Stop having those fasts. I didn't call, I didn't ask you to fast. I didn't tell you to fast over those things. That's where your judgment was. You don't commemorate that. You should be commemorating what is good and godly. So Satan wants us to always go from celebrating the goodness of God to memorializing the judgment of God. He always wants us to look at death and destruction instead of life and hope. Because that's what Satan's about. He wants to detract from God instead of get our focus on God. So if he can make a date out of the calendar that he knows when Christ was born, he was there. And he can make it sad instead of happy. He's more than happy to do that. That's right in his wheelhouse. That's what he wants to do. He wants to move us from celebrating to memorializing evil. And this hasn't just happened in our generation. We look through time backwards, and we can see several times, several occasions that, that September 11th became a time of, of men doing evil things. There's a reason that date was picked and selected. And so we come to us and, and you say, well, I want to celebrate Christ's birth. Well, then, um, is it okay to do it when the world does it? Uh, and we're going to talk about that a few weeks from now because I want to get back in the Old Testament. We're going to get to those dates. And, and that's going to be tied into another part of, 
of, of extra-biblical material that you're largely ignorant, and that's the Maccabean books. So we're going to look at those, because there's a very important Jewish Hanukkah uh, that is celebrated there that we want to talk about, and why the arrival of the Magi may have very well been in that period of time. And so that we probably picked up on, and that's where we get the dates we use today. But in terms of the birth of Christ, Scripture is very precise. I, I think it's given us plenty of information. Uh, if we will expand our understanding and, and learn basic things that ancient people all knew that we don't. Okay, the people that received these books knew this information and would have been able to make that correlation, uh, but we have largely lost touch with that, with both the, the Israelite worship patterns with what the sun, moon, stars engaging, what a lunar calendar is like, all these things we're largely ignorant of. And, but once we put this all together, it goes boom, 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 and suddenly we're like, oh, well, first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Christ was born. Year 3 B.C., September 11th, between 6.30 and 8, somewhere there. Because that's when the moon, because the moon moves very quickly away from that position. Um, within an hour, it's well far away from being under the feet of the of Virgo. And so, I want to just challenge it to um, recognize that the sun, moon, and stars are the creation of God. They are setting their courses. And in fact, when we go to the end times things, one of the things we're supposed to look at is what? The sun and the moon, What? They change color, they grow dark, all these things. These are supposed to be signs that we're looking for in the heavens, even in the future. And so we need to be a little more attentive to this. Don't get wrapped up in, in the astrology of demons. Don't get involved in that. Don't do the warped view. But be better students of God's creation. And... and Study it. it. It is a valuable thing. I took weather forecasting and astronomy in high school. It was one of the electives. Um, astronomy has kind of been a side interest of mine. I haven't really pursued it extensively, but at least to be able to recognize a few stars here and there, uh, more than just the Big Dipper. <laughs> um, we can all do that, right? And, and that's why I love going up to the Bahamas at night and getting out there and just seeing a lot more stars than we see down here. Uh, but this is what this should just excite you, that this kind of precision is in Scripture, and and therefore is trustworthy. Okay, so now you know when Jesus was born. Let's pray, Lord God. We do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your Scripture and for its reliability, that it can be matched up against. Uh, things like astronomy, and we can see its uh, agreement, uh, or rather astronomy's agreement with your word. And Lord, our trust is in your word and what it declares first and foremost. And we thank you for the content that you give us. And, and Lord, our prayer is that we might be deeper and broader in our study of your creation, of your uh, order, and of your word, that we might uh, better worship you and Lord, we look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles. And whether we want to celebrate the Tabernacles or celebrate that date uh, on a solar calendar, Lord, we pray you might bless it. And that we might glorify you and not be boastful, proud in it, just to do it and to do it to your glory without all the uh, warping of Satan over uh, our celebration of your coming. We pray that you might just guide us in our personal decisions in that regard, in our family decisions, that we might glorify your name in these times. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Any comments, questions? I should throw that out there, not on the podcast. Yes? You, you have two things going on. First, you have the census, so that would have flooded everybody in. And normally, during the Feast of Tabernacles, you try to get with family. Even today you gather your whole family together for the Feast of Tabernacles and you try to have a guest each night. So during that feast day, you're, you're going to each other's places and the census would have 
would have just complicated that whole thing. It would have kind of fallen in place for them because they would like to gather as, as, as families. Now you're having to go to the land of your birth, of your, and, and it just floods it. And, um, and so it wasn't outlandish. I don't think in anyone's mind that they might find somebody sleeping in temporary dwellings. Um, but remember, you're a heavily pregnant woman. <laughs> you're ready to give birth. And uh, you generally want to find a place to do that, not necessarily in a tent. Um, but that, how much they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles at that period of time under Roman rule, um, I, I don't know that I could tell you that exactly, to what extent they were celebrating it. But for most Israelites, it wouldn't have been an, a, a hard overreach for that. Any other questions, comments? Is it a big, big deal? Not to me, because I don't know that celebrating Christ's birth is a big deal, because I don't think our calendar should be set to it. I think our calendar should be set to the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection, not to his birth, because in Daniel, that's the big event. That's the, that's the calendar-changing event for the world is not Christ's birth, but Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So our calendars are like 27 years off. Okay, because if he was born 3 BC, died around, um, at about the age of 30, uh, uh, then uh, 27 AD would have been his death, and that's where our calendar should have started. Which means what year is it this year? It's 1994 all over again. No, 93. 27, 6 years. No, 1994. Correct? Is that right? 2021 minus 27 leaves a 6 remainder. makes it 1994, right? So if you ever want to go back to the 90s, here's your chance. So you can start planning your September 11th parties. What day of the year is it this year? Anybody got a calendar open? What is September 11th this year? What day of the week? Is a Saturday, which is actually Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. 